Well, this is the third and final part of a three-part series that I've been doing with you over the last three weeks or, weeks or so called Roots and Fruits. And in the first week, uh, we looked at how to put your roots down with God. And one of the main passages we spent time on was Psalm chapter 1, the psalm that opens you up to all the other psalms after it. Now that psalm is all about a tree putting down roots by a stream and bearing great fruit even in times of drought, the roots of a righteous person. So we spoke about what it would mean for us to extend our roots of faith and faithfulness and discipleship into God and his kingdom. How did we do that? We looked at that. And then last week, we looked at abiding in the vine. John chapter 15, Jesus said, I am the vine, but you are the branches, and my father is the vine dressers. So what does it mean to be a branch in Jesus' vine? What does that, how do you practically, as a, as a branch on the vine which is Jesus, draw from him nutrients and strength for your Christian life? And uh, we found out that the branches in a tree or on a vine, the, the vine does not, from below, push up its life-giving nutrients and minerals that are in the sap. It doesn't push it from below, but actually the branches, they draw the life from the vine into themselves. How do they do that? Well, they have leaves, and, and the leaves are, are transpiring. Photosynthesis is taking place. In other words, water, as the sun beats down on the leaves, water evaporates from the leaves and it pulls other water into its place. And that water pulls on the sap that's in the tree. And then right down in the roots, pulled up by these branches, comes the nutrients and life and strength of God. Basically what we were saying about those roots and, uh, and, and being branches on the vine is uh, we were summarizing it really to say it's all about trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. Reminding me of that great hymn that says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's the message last week, the week before, and this week. That's how we put down roots. That's how we bear kingdom fruits. But trust and obey. Note it's trust, then obey. If it was just obey, we, we would be in the Old Testament under the law where we'd be saying, you will do what you're meant to do. There's no trust in it. It's just law. And if you don't do what you're meant to do, then God will punish you. That's not a relationship. That's obedience that comes from fear of punishment. Imagine a school teacher in an unruly classroom, and that school teacher comes in, I mean, and they're hard as nails, and they're old school. They're not frightened to do corporal punishment. Uh, they'll take this slipper, they'll take the cane, and they come into that unruly classroom, and very soon, through threats and actual punishments, that class comes into obedience. They get their homework in on time, or else. Uh, they're not they don't speak till they're spoken to, or else. We're not talking about that kind of legalistic obedience. We're talking about trust and obey. In other words, this is getting to know Jesus and his teaching and saying, Lord, I'm going to go your way because I actually trust you as a person. I believe you know best. I believe you want the best for me. I believe even if you ask me to do some hard things, in the end it'll be because there's some best things to come. 
And so I'm going to go your way. I'm going to make this decision. I'm going to alter my life because I trust you. And because I trust you so much, I am then going to obey. Do you see how different that is to the fear of punishment? Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So today I'm going to speak to you on the subject of the garden of your heart. And we're going to read together from Luke chapter 8, verse 4 following. When a large crowd was coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. The seed which fell amongst the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go on their way, they are choked with the worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. Whenever I read this parable or meditate on it, I always smile to myself because I was brought up as a child in a soil environment. You say, that sounds strange. Yep, soil was everywhere in my house. I couldn't get rid of it. And the reason was, is because my father, well, he's now a retired geography lecturer. And he was a world-renowned specialist in soil science. So as a young boy, I used to think, I'm going to read my daddy's book. So I'd go and get one of his textbooks, and I'd open it up, and there would be his text that I didn't understand, and pictures of various fields and soil. When I used to visit his office, at, he, he, was, uh, he, he, he taught at Tripoli University, Saskatchewan University in Canada, uh, Durham University, Aberdeen University, and then finally Leeds University. And when I used to go into Leeds, and he'd let me come to his office and go in his laboratories, then I'd go into his office, and he didn't have pictures of myself, my sister, and his family on his walls, but he had uh, plastic, uh, plaster cast cores of soil samples. Uh, and, and in the garage, we had all these chemicals that he would keep in the garage, all these chemicals in order to test the quality of soil. I mean, my dad was so good, he could, he could wherever we were in the world, he'd see a bit of soil and he'd pick it up. <laughs> Listen to it, look at it, smell it, taste it. 
and he could tell you what was in that soil, what quality that soil was, and what would bear fruit in it. So I'm used to soil. Uh, and so when I read this, some people have, have said that this parable, uh, and called this parable, the parable of four kinds of soil. And we're going to see about these four kinds of soil, because the first three kinds of soil don't bear fruit, but the fourth does. And we're going to find out that the soil that Jesus is speaking about is the environment of our hearts. That's the inside of you. It's, your, it's where you think. It, it, it's where you respond. It's where you feel. Uh, it's the choices that, that you make on the inside of you. And that's why I've called this sermon the garden of your heart. Because although we've looked at extending our roots and bearing fruits, God also plants seed into the soil of our hearts. You have a garden of the Lord on the inside of you. It's your inner person, the real who you are. And in that is like soil that God wants to put his seed. So the question is, how is our soil that God's seed might germinate, come to full growth and produce real kingdom fruit. Well, before we go there, I just want to mention that, that the first thing we, we notice here is that uh, the seed is the word of God. It's called the message of the kingdom in Mark's version of, of this parable, or the word of the kingdom in Matthew's. And in this parable, notice that none of the seed is bad. It's all good seed. It's not that the sower sowed some bad seed, and the sower sowed some good seed, but the sower sowed the seed. That seed was all good seed. And within that seed was the potential in the right environment to produce everything that that seed promised. If it was an apple seed, it would have within it everything that would, have, that would produce the promise of an apple tree with apple fruits. If it was an orange pip, Within that pit, it would have everything within it in the right environment to produce a beautiful orange tree of beautiful oranges. And so it is with God's words, God's promises, and God's message. It's seed, and it's good seed, always good seed. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not corrupted. It always works if it's in the right environment, and it always produces what it promises to produce in the right environment environment. And so when we're looking at the conditions here for fruitfulness, we've got to take a look at um, the soil, which is our hearts. Well, the first kind of soil. Now, what I've done, what the beautiful thing about the New Testament is that it has four Gospels, four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that gives us a four-dimensional view of Jesus's ministry over especially those three years that he, that he ministered. You see different aspects of same events. And so when you look at the parable of the sower in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they bring out different aspects of this parable. Sometimes people say, well, uh, which one is the, is, is the right parable? Well, is Mark right? Is that the real time when Jesus spoke on, on this? Or was Matthew right? Or, or was Luke right? Because they vary in the way that they re, re, reproduce it. It's like when people say, did Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew? Or was it the Sermon on the Plain in Luke? Which was it? Who got it wrong? Well, you've misunderstood the message of the kingdom. 
Jesus was preaching the same parables and the same messages time and time again. He, he, he preached it on the, on the mountain, he preached it on the plain. And he would change and adapt the message depending where he was. He was going from village to village and city to city. Do you think he had to have a, a, a new sermon for every place that he went? No, he had his series of messages, and he preached them again and again and again. So what we're hearing in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we're hearing uh, a synopsis of the different times, and the disciples would have heard this message again and again and again in every village that they would have spent time with Jesus teaching. And so I've looked at the various uh, Luke and Matthew and Mark to sort of give you a fullness of what's going on in Jesus' teaching. So the first kind of soil that we come to, the garden of our hearts, is he sowed, some, so, he sowed some seed beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air took it away. Luke also says that it was taken from their hearts so that they would not be, believe and be saved. Mark says that as soon as they hear the seed that goes on the hard ground, as soon as they hear it, Satan takes it away immediately. Matthew, when he talks about this particular hard soil by the path, he says that these people are those that hear the word of the kingdom, but don't understand it. So when we look at this first soil, we have hard soil, hard packed soil like concrete. This is the first kind of the soil that we're looking at. And in this soil, the seed doesn't even begin to germinate. It never gets that far. It, never, it can't penetrate into the hardness of heart. Luke said it was trampled underfoot. Well, what does that mean, trampled underfoot? When you trample something, it means that God's word, the message of the kingdom, the teaching of Jesus, was not taken seriously by people. They trampled it underfoot. They mocked it, they scoffed at it, they ridiculed it, they laughed at it. These are the, the sort of people where you say, have you ever considered the Bible and its message? And they laugh at you and they say, what? That book of mythology, that book of child storytelling, and what they're doing is they're trampling on the word of God before they even give it an opportunity uh, to interact with them. Uh, these people, they, they haven't got time to see the claims of Christ or the claims of Scripture to be inspired by Almighty God. I've got a degree in theology, and we applied theology as a science to the Bible to look at its integrity, to see if this truly was Scripture, to see if this, the New Testament was credible. Was it an eyewitness account of these events? And using all these scientific methods, we, we can see that it is. But these people, they don't want to know. They're not interested in that. They're, they're, they laugh, they scoff, they dismiss, they trample on the word of God. They won't interact in it. This is what this is speaking about. But also, this can apply sometimes to areas of our garden. Remember, this is talking about the garden of your heart. I'm asking you that if Jesus was to walk around in the garden of your heart, how, what would he find there? I don't know where you live here today. Maybe some of you live in, in, in rooms, in flats, in houses, but maybe some of you have a small garden or a big garden or, or, a, or a yard. And uh, if any of you were to invite me for Sunday lunch today after the service, who have a garden or a yard, would you be pleased to show me your garden? 
Or would you think that's the last place we're taking him? It's full of weeds or, or it's just a yard. We never even go there. We concreted it over or some, something like that. You can talk about how your garden is, but, but how about if Jesus took a walk around the garden of your heart, the soil there, what would he see? Would there be any areas? I'm not saying that if you're a Christian here today, you've totally got this kind of, of hard heart, but are there areas of hardness in you? Remember, trust and obey. A hard heart does not trust. Have you, have you ever met somebody that's been hardened by the difficulties or betrayals of life? And they find it hard. They've got trust issues, we say, don't we? And sometimes we understand why. They've been let down. They've been, they've been betrayed. Uh, they've not been cared for. And they've become hardened to relationship. And so when you reach out to them, you, you may, you may, they may have a prickly character. Or they may uh, react strongly to you. Or they may just not be very suspicious and not let you in. They've been hardened by life. They've got trust issues. But when you trust somebody, isn't it true, you begin to open up to them, don't you? You begin to let them in. You, you begin to share with them. that There's trust. You, you're beginning to trust them. Well, these people with hard hearts, they have trust issues with the Lord. Do you know, the Christian life is nothing more than working out your trust issues with the Lord. Because when you trust him, you obey him. But when you don't trust him, well, then you don't trust him enough to go his way. And so here is a picture of people either not trusting the Lord or not taking his word seriously. It's possible for Christians not to take God's word seriously. We can say amen in all the right places, can't we? Amen. All right, well, that, that didn't work. I'll try it the two. We can say amen in all the right places. We can, we can, we can do all the things, but, but you know... Are we really taking God's word seriously? Does he really mean what he says? And then in this picture also, we get the picture of the birds carrying off the seed. You know, if the seed that you're sowing isn't planted into good soil and it, and it falls on the concrete, you know it's not going to be there very long because the birds are going to pick it off. And Mark says that Satan immediately takes it away. And so we have a picture here of, of Satan taking the seed away. What does that mean? It's his lies and his deceptions. If the seed of God's word is the message of the kingdom that Jesus brings to us, the Bible, then the devil's lies and deceptions rob us of God's seed. Before it gets into our heart, we, we, we already reject it because we're believing a different seed. Now, all God's seed is good, but how many of you know the devil's got seed too? Galatians says that whatever you sow, you will reap. It's the law of sowing and reaping. Danger being that if you sow to the flesh bad seed in your decision making, in your words, in your actions, in your reactions, your choices, if these are fleshly, then you are sowing seed that will one day bring a harvest of unrighteousness back. And so the devil, he, he is a counterfeit. He's always trying to counterfeit Jesus. So he's spreading his lies as seed and deceptions in order to prevent people from receiving the real seed. There's only so much soil in the garden of your heart. We have different sizes of gardens. I have a garden in the back of my garden, and uh, I have to think, well, what can I plant here? Because it's not a huge garden, so I have to decide what I'll plant and what I won't plant. And so if the devil's putting his deceptions and lies as seeds in people's hearts, there's not going to be much room, is there, for the word of God. 
Second type of soil. Well, the second type of soil. Other seed fell on rocky soil. And as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture, according to Luke. This takes me back to the sermon I preached a couple of weeks ago. You can see it on the website. It's there. Where we spoke about the roots extending by trusting and obeying, extending your roots deep into God and the kingdom of God so that you can then begin to draw into your life resources from the kingdom of God to live by that are not uh, dominated by your current environment. You see, here, when the environment changed and the sun came up and scorched uh, this, this uh, shoot, then it withered because it had no moisture. It wasn't deeply rooted enough. Now, these people, this kind of soil, the people to begin with, they were joyful. It said they received the word with joy. They had an emotional response to the word. They liked what they heard. Many, many thousands of people enjoyed Jesus' sermons and, 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 and rejoiced in his light and enjoyed being in his presence and liked his sermons. There was an emotional response, but very few actually took that emotional response and earthed it and rooted it in their daily lives. Emotional response, but with no staying power. You see, there's a progression in these soils. In the first soil, there was no germination at all. In the second soil, in the shallow soil, there is a germination, but there's no growth. Because when the environment changes, then that which was started is lost. No firm root of the word. That's what Matthew says. Mark says that when tribulation comes because of the word's sake, immediately they are stumbled. In other words, this is a person that hears the message of Jesus in an area of their lives and they like it and they like what they've heard and they, they, they sense, I want to do something about it. There's an emotion, there's a response, there's a yes on the inside. And then they, they begin to work out the consequences of what Jesus is saying about their life and circumstances. But then as they do that, pressure comes. Pressure comes. Pressure comes not to continue in the way that you're following. Pressure comes not to continue in your response to the seed sown by the word in your heart. How many of you know that when you go God's way, it's not always easy? In fact, you can guarantee that if you go God's way, there is going to, at one time or another, be some pressure not to go God's way. We see this in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, you should expect that when the seed is planted in your heart and you respond to Jesus' message, in whatever area that might be, and you say, I'm going to trust and obey, and I'm going to put this to work in my life, that you should expect that there's going to be a season of testing and pressure to stop doing what you're doing. It's part of the course. James 1, verse 2. Consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials and tests, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. How many of us would like to be mature 
in the kingdom of God. A mature disciple of Jesus. How many of us would like to be complete, fully formed, lacking in nothing, sufficient in all things, because the garden of our heart is filled with the fruit, ongoing fruit of the kingdom? Well, we'd all like to be like that. Mature, complete, lacking, nothing. Well, James says, well, as you apply the word, don't just be a hearer of the word. You see, it's trust and obey. If you trust, you will obey. If you say you trust and you don't obey, well, you've still got trust issues to work out, haven't you? So James says, don't be a hearer of the word only, deceiving yourself. But be a doer of the word because you'll be blessed, not in your hearing. These people in this soil, they were blessed in their hearing. Great sermon, that wonderful sermon, preached with power and dynamism and laughter. And oh, I love it, I love it. They were hearers of the word. But when it came to doing, as soon as there was some resistance, as soon as there was some opposition... As soon as they didn't feel like doing it anymore and the emotion of the occasion or the altar call or the appeal wore off and it's back to Monday morning on the tube, Tuesday morning on the tube, Wednesday morning on the bus because there's a tube strike and all that sort of reality of normal life, when that kicks in, the sort of emotional response ends up not feeling good. But you know... It's when you're not feeling good that the roots are growing deeper. I gave the illustration in the first of this series about um, an orange grove. And this man was taking uh, some visitors around different orange groves. And there had been a drought and, the orange gro- and all the orange trees were dying. But then he took, and and they were dying, not just because there'd been a drought, but the irrigation system had broken down. And so they couldn't mechanically irrigate these. But then he took them to his orange grove, and the orange trees weren't uh, dying. And And they said, well, how come your orange grove isn't dying when the mechanical irrigation system isn't watering any of them in this drought? He said, ah, well, I trained these orange trees. In their early years, I would purposely withhold water from them so that they would have to go deeper in their roots to find more moisture. So that's why in this time where they're not getting rain on the external environment, they, are, they are, have their roots deeper. And so James, when he talks about this, and, and here when we see this soil, these are people that refuse to put their roots deeper. Refuse to let the trials or the difficulties, the pressures or the, or the negative feelings about going God's way. Refuse to let those things have their work. You say what? Feeling bad about going the way of the Lord has, has a positive work. Yes. We've just seen it here in James. Yes. Feeling bad about going God's way is as important as feeling good about God's way because both have a purpose. Feeling bad allows things to get deeper into your heart, deeper into your garden, deeper roots, because you're trusting when you don't feel like trusting. And trusting the Lord when you don't feel like trusting is a very, very deep trust. You know, you say, well, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. I'm not happy about it. But seeing as it's you, I'll continue to do it. You ever had conversations with the Lord like that? Because if you haven't, you will. (laughs) And that's a very important part of discipleship. So, 
No roots, shallow, easily swayed, give up at a moment's notice, don't, not realizing that, that when, it, when you feel like giving up, that's exactly the moment that the roots are going deeper, ready for a harvest. Making quality decisions and sticking to them, expecting there to be resistance in the flesh, resistance and not expecting that. And these people, they were charismatic Christians of the, of the highest degree. They would come to the big services, the big conferences, they would hear the word, and then the preacher would make the altar call, and they'd be weeping at the altar, pledging their lives to follow Jesus, whatever it would cost. But by the time they reached the porch, they'd forgotten about it. The third kind of soil. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Well, here... We're talking now about the garden of our heart and thorns or weeds or nettles. Now, when you're in your garden, you can have a picture of the sort of garden that you want. I have a very nice garden, mainly because my dad's a soil scientist and my mum is almost a professional gardener. And so between them, they do very well. And I give them lots of encouragement and cups of tea and cake. But, so my mum, she'll, she'll say, well, what, what do you want to do with your garden? And she'll take me to the garden centre. And th then we look at all those packets of seeds and you see all the flowers on the outside, don't you? And I'm saying, oh, I like that one, I like that one, I like that one. And she says, well, they won't really go together in colours. And so we, we end up choosing. And then the mum will take me around the garden and show me where the different... And, and she can visualise what a beautiful garden will, will look like. But also, she's very good at dealing with the weeds in my garden. And if you know anything about weeds and nettles and, and things like that, then you know that they get their roots down very deep. They're like, you're not shifting me. And, and when I first thought I would help with the weeding, I thought, this isn't so hard. Got one of those choppers and I just started chopping the weeds like that, just above the surface of the soil. At the end of it, I said, look at that, Mum. I said, it usually takes you like the whole day to do weeding. I did it in about 10 minutes. And she said, well, uh, what did you do? I said, just cut them, didn't I? Just like that, they're dead, they're gone. <laughs> She said, they'll be back because of the roots. You've got to dig, dig down. And she showed me how long some of these roots were. I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't believe it. Now, in the garden, again, there's only so much room. You don't want your garden to be filled with weeds, with the wrong type of seed. And so here's a picture of the weeds growing up alongside the good seed. But there's competition going on in the heart here. Competition for space. The weeds are taking up the ground, and they're wanting to spread and take up the soil. There's competition for nutrients. The weeds are, are sucking up all the nutrients and the life of, of, of the soil and taking away that which the good seed could, could use. There's competition for light. These weeds are spreading thickly, and, and the shoots of the flowers or vegetables that you want, they're going, but they're not getting enough light because the weeds are, are taking away the sun. So there's a competition going on in the space of the garden of your heart. And what is this competition? Well, Jesus says what this is. He says in the various passages, it's the worries of the world. It's the deceitfulness of wealth. It's the desire for other things that choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So what we have to do, as well as receiving the seed of the word into our hearts, with a heart that is soil softened with 
trusting that leads to obedience. But also we have to uproot these terrible weeds and thorns that get into our lives. How? By not trusting and not obeying. Some of us, we've still got the weeds in our lives from before we met the Lord, haven't we? Weeds that are there through past disobedience, not trusting, unbelieving, and they, something got rooted into the soil of our hearts, and uh, God wants us to root those things out to make space for his word to come. And we know that in our time and our lives, the choices that we make, the things that our mind spends time meditating on, how we allot our diary and our timings, things can become crowded out by the cares of the world. We're just too busy to put God first. We're just too busy to love others. Or the desire for other things. We're looking for this or that or the other. The things that everybody in the world is going after. And, and because of those things, we have no time to have a harvest of righteousness because things are crowded out in the garden of your heart. Jesus says that out of the heart comes all, all the bad things. But out of the heart also comes the good things, the believing things. And your heart is only so big, only so big, and can easily be crowded out with the thorns of these things. If you were to look in the, into your heart today as a garden, where would be the areas that need some strong weed killer, some strong digging in, some strong uprooting? How, you say? By a little bit more trusting and a little bit more obeying out of that trust. And then finally, we have the fourth kind of soil. And this is the good soil. And uh, other seed fell into good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. I said there was a progression in these uh, soils. The first soil, the seed didn't even germinate. The second soil, the soil germinated but didn't grow. The third soil, the, the seed germinated, grew, but never got to the place where it actually produced the fruit. Think about that. It germinated. It grew. There was growth. But the person never discovered what it was like to have fruit from trusting and obeying. That must be tragic. To, to, to trust God a little bit. To obey a little bit and then to stop because it's too hard. Or to stop because you got distracted and filled your garden of the heart with other things. And you never actually got to taste the fruit that we're talking about now. Other people never actually got to taste the fruit of the kingdom in your life. These different soils, one never germinated at all. One just about started to germinate, it was over the third. There was growth, but never experienced. These three soils never knew what it was like to feel the blessings of a harvest, to feel the blessings of the fruit. It'd be like owning an orchard, never once tasting an apple from it. It'd be like owning a vineyard and having various levels of growth, but never once tasting a grape from your own vineyard. How terrible that there are people out there and also in the house of the Lord who, who have experienced different levels of growth, but hardly ever tasted the fruits of going God's way. They, they didn't go on long enough. 
They didn't keep on trusting and believing. They, they didn't acknowledge the crowding situation in their heart and make adjustments. So they never got to this place. And in this place, what a wonderful place to be. I mean, none of us are, are there, but, but we can be on the way. Of, and many of us may have tasted the fruit of the Lord in our lives. But here, here, here is, and I like the way that Luke records it. He said that they, that, that um, in Luke 8, verse 15, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who heard the word in an honest and good heart. Hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. I just, beautiful. An honest, and a good heart. That's what I want. Do you? I want an honest and a good heart when it comes to the Lord and it comes to the... I want a heart that will increasingly, because this is a journey, increasingly hold fast to God. Not, just his, not the, just his word, but the God of the word. To trust him. To trust him. I'm finding that the more you're weaned off trusting the world and on to trusting the Lord the better things become. You can deal with things in a better way because you're trusting Jesus in the midst of it. You're believing his word. It's a wonderful place to be when you start bearing fruit of trusting and obeying. And we saw that Luke said, persevering. That's what the others didn't do. Here is a heart that's constantly softened. And on this I end. The Bible's always speaking about the state of people's hearts. Even in the Old Testament, it spoke about hard, stony hearts and their relationship to God. Hearts that didn't trust the Lord, didn't believe he was able or capable to do what he said, didn't believe that he was good. They were hardened to the things of God. But God promised that in the new covenant, he'd take out the old heart of stone and he'd give us a heart that would be soft, a new soil, ready for the seeds of God. And so here we are, each one of us, a garden unto the Lord. And he is the gardener. And he is working in our hearts. I do often say this, that the greatest work of God on planet Earth today is his work in the hearts of human beings. There's no greater miracle, no greater work. Better than all the miracles in external conditions and situations and breakthroughs. The greatest work of God. Greater than the universe and the galaxies. Greater than all these things. The greatest work of God on earth is in the garden of your heart. I pray that the Holy Spirit somehow in some way has touched on things in your heart today. Areas where you trust and obey. I'm going to finish with that hymn. Read it again because the whole of these three messages are summed up in this verse in the hymn, Trust and Obey. I'm going to read it one more time and we pray. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and then obey.